Turn with me now to Ephesians chapter 1, and we're, we're, we're picking up where we left off last week, and we're going to go the rest of the first chapter of Ephesians, starting with verse 15, going through verse 23. So Paul starts out, and this is a master class of Christian encouragement. Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for Christians everywhere, I have never stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. So that you might grow in your knowledge of God, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the wonderful future that he has promised to those he has called. I want you to realize what a rich and glorious inheritance he has given to his people. I pray that you will begin to understand the incredible greatness of his power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else in this whole world and in the world to come. And God has put all things under his authority of Christ. And he gave him this authority for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is filled by Christ who fills everything everywhere with his presence. I don't know about you all, but I had a little desk in my house where I did my homework. And this is going back to middle school, and I had this kind of desk, and I never knew what was in the drawers. You know, if you have a little kid or a little son, you know, there might be, a, open it up and there's a frog in there, or, you know, a dead squirrel, or I don't know, you know. And one day, I had been really, really, really struggling with long division back in middle school. And I kind of just was bored, and I didn't want to do it. And long divisions, when, like, you have one problem, and the whole problem takes up, like, this much of the page, you know, the long division stuff. And I began to look through the drawers of things that I've had in there for years. And in the drawer was a calculator about this big. I didn't pay anything attention to it, because at that time, Texas Instruments had come out with these really cool, like, little calculators. This is, like, one of those big ones that, like, you know, your mom will take to the grocery store and is, like, doing her stuff, like, right there on the shopping cart, or just my mom, okay. And then I saw the division button on the calculator. And happiness filled my soul. And I pulled out that long division of like 3,432.78 into 4,900,000, blah, 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 blah. And, and I plugged into the calculator and the number came out right there. And my eyes got large. And then I did what everyone that learns how to cheat in middle school does with math. So parents, pay attention. I'm giving you this one for free. That's what you do. You write in the correct answer. And then you just make it look like you did your work by just a bunch of gibberish down there at the bottom of the page and make it look really messy and then do that. And my parents were so excited because I began to get 100s on my math homework. But just like Ben said to Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility. And I had the power, but I did not have the responsibility and or wisdom. Well, this week... I had had, you know, this week I'm reflecting back, I had that calculator with me all those times that I was struggling. And I didn't use it. I had it with me. But I also needed wisdom on when and when not to use it. And so as we're looking at this text, Paul is saying, listen, you've got to remember the incredible things that you have in Christ. And not only these riches that you have in Him, you have them now, but you've been given power and we need to ask for wisdom to correctly use them well. And so, Ephesians 1, 15 through 23, he says, because you belong to Jesus, you have been given riches. Now, Paul, in these first few verses, gives a master class in encouraging and teaching at the same time. 
You all know a great teacher can both encourage you and teach you something. Not talk down to you, but teach you something at the same time. So let's jump into the text. And this week we have a little bit less to do, so we can go through them verse by verse and look at them. So we'll look at the verses on the screen, and you've got them also in your your, uh, bulletin. So verses 15 and 16, Paul begins this incredible speaking words of affirmation. So this is a love language that he's beginning to tell them. And he says, listen... I'm always thinking about you. Now, if you've ever wanted to know why the giving of gifts is a love language, you know, even when we give someone a pack of gum or we give someone a little flower or whatever, it's not necessarily the gift. It's the fact that what you're saying to someone is, you were on my mind. I was thinking about you and I'm showing you that you were on my mind. So Paul begins to tell them, you've been on my mind, this loving thing. And then he says this incredibly incredible part. And I bring up your name before Jesus. I bring up your name before Jesus. Now, I told the youth on Wednesday night, because we were still looking at something similar in the book of Philippians. Uh, my friend, I have a friend that is a producer, and uh, one, of the, one of the bands that he works with is a band called Demon Hunter. That's like one of my favorite Christian bands. And the Demon Hunter's, his name is Yogi, he keeps his drum set at the studio. And so my friend is, you know, working with him every once in a while, and, you know, I always wanted to say, hey, when Yogi comes in, do you all ever talk about me? But I know that the answer is going to be no, so I don't ever say it. But Paul is saying, hey, I bring up your name in front of, and then we're going to hear later on, the one who is over, above, and in all things. I bring up your name in front of him. What power there is when we actually truly say that to people and we do it. I bring you up, and I bring up your name, and I name you in front of the king of kings. So verse 17, he says, and now here's what I'm saying. Here's what I'm saying in these. I'm telling you, first of all, follow my lead. Listen, the way I pray for you and I'm telling you that I pray for you, pray for one another. Follow my lead. But also, as I'm showing you how to pray, I'm also showing that you and I can come before the glorious Father of God, Jesus Christ, God's Father, the Father of Christ, and ask. We can ask. Now, this is the major thing. He says, now, listen, one of the greatest things you can ask for is to know God more. Now, we think about knowledge that we would have, and I wanted to tell you I'm full of useless knowledge. I can sing you anything out of the Def Leppard catalog. Useless. I wish that I had the same command over, like, memorized scripture. We have a lot of things that have maybe occupied our brains, but he says, I want you to gain the greatest knowledge, which is the knowledge about the Lord. Now, in verse 18, he brings this incredible thing into where he says, listen, I want you to see it. Now, there's a difference between seeing it and understanding it. So he says these words, he says, I want you to have hearts that are illuminated. I want your hearts to be illuminated because there's a difference between seeing something and really getting it. There's a part in the, in, in the, the play in the movie Filler on the Roof where someone with a newspaper comes and opens it up in front, of a, in front of a crew of people. None of them but the one guy can read the paper. And so he says, look at what's happening in the world here. And they all say, we can see it. What does it say? Because none of them could read. And part of it is the same thing for us. And what he's saying is, I don't want you just to see it. I want you to get it. I want your hearts to be illuminated so that you can get the life and the wealth that you've been given through Christ to you and live in this hope that we have. So verse 19 then, it's be illuminated to see God's power for us. The church, God is greater and bigger than you can imagine. And Bob did a great job with this in the 830 service. And he just kind of like, you know, there's a, there's a famous slide. It's called the Blue Moat, M-O-T-E, which just means a speck. And it's when the Voyager uh, satellite spacecraft 
as it's about to exit our solar system, turned around and took a picture of the earth. And it looked like a single blue speck hanging in the light. And that's us. And the universe has trillions of galaxies. And Christ is over all that and in all of that and yet knows every single hair on our head and fleckle on our body and hears every prayer. Understand the greatness of God. Let your heart not just see and go, yeah, yeah, Jesus, Jesus, yeah, okay, I got it, got it. But let you see how great and massive and huge Christ is, bigger than we can imagine. In verse 20 then, it's this whole part, well, what kind of power in verse 20? What kind of power? I'm glad you asked, Paul says. The same power that resurrected Jesus from the dead. Now, I love being the guy that is able to sometimes jumpstart someone's car. A few of us got called out in the parking lot a few weeks ago to jumpstart a lady's car in the rain. Nothing makes a man feel more manly than to get your hands a little bit dirty, get a little bit of rain on you, hook it up to your big truck's battery, and then start someone. You're like, ah, I did that. You know what? But this is the power that caused a dead and decaying corpse to come back to life. He says, that's the power that's living in you. That's the power that's, that's in you and in the church, and it's for you. In verse 21, he says, I want you to see Christ. I want you to see Christ for who and what he really is. Not just Savior, but Lord over everything. Sitting at the highest place, advocating for us. And as Bob said in the 830 service, the number one most quoted verse in the, in the New Testament is actually from the Psalms where David says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I humble your enemies under your feet. And everyone always wondered, well, who is this one that was greater than David? And Christ comes and says, it's me. And Paul says, it's Christ. He's greater and higher than all. And then verse 22, this other part about when we say everything, everything means everything. Everything is under Christ's authority. All the power that he has has been given to us for the benefit of the church. And then this incredible news here at the very end in verse 23, this is big news. Because one of the things we think about is when we think about people that work for the church, we say, oh, you work for the institution of the church. Or, oh, the church is an institution just like schools and institutions. Wrong. The church is an organism. We are the living, breathing body of Christ filled by him, used to bring the gospel to the whole wide world. And remember, he said, it's good for me to go away because if I go, I will leave the counselor, the Holy Spirit, with you. And you will do even greater things than me. Now, men like explosive revelations. Case in point, this past week in New Hampshire, there was a couple that wanted to do a gender reveal. You know what? I must be related to them because they decided that what they needed to do was go down and have this gender reveal, which, by the way, they charged Tannerite, which is an explosive material that you can shoot, with either blue or pink chalk. So when it blows up, it makes this blue or pink explosion, and it's really great. But 80 pounds of Tannerite is like blowing up a middle schooler full of Tannerite. And they put him, they put it down in the bottom of a quarry, blew it up, and it was felt for town, felt in towns 20 miles away. That is an explosive revelation. But in the same way, Paul gives us three explosive revelations in this text. Explosive revelations that are huge. And we're going to look at a few of them right here. So the first thing he says is, listen, when we look at verses 17 and 19, he says, I pray that you might know what you already have in Christ. I pray that you will know what you already have in Christ. 17, 18, and 19, these verses not talk about what you can attain, but what you now already have. Paul says, I want you to realize the wealth of what you have in Christ 
and utilize it. So in verse 20, Paul tells us, in Christ you have power. What kind of power? Resurrection power. In Christ you have wisdom and understanding. That's in verse 17. Because of Christ, now you have representation at the highest level. That is also in verse 20. And what more? You have it now, not later. This is the good news of the gospel that is different from any other religion in the world. Do you realize that if we look at Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, Hindus, Buddhists, Islam, even Judaism to an extent, all of those other religions say, if you press in with more devotion, if you press in with more discipline, if you press in with more sacrifice, you can gain power, you can gain life, you can gain wisdom, you can gain grace, you can gain mercy. But Paul reminds us instead, the conundrum of the gospel for everyone that doesn't understand it, that instead of our discipline, our goodness, our sacrifice, because of Christ's discipline, because of Christ's sacrifice, because of Christ's devotion, we get all those because of what he did, and it now belongs to us in Christ. And so the part about this that speaks to us, I think, I think in a part where we have to be a little bit cynical with this in terms of answering the world is when we look at what we've been given, we go, man, in a cynical light, I wish what we've been given had been a little more tangible. Notice he doesn't say all physical riches in the world. The ability to heal one another and never have hardship. The ability to never be sick. The ability to never lose your job. The ability to make every relationship work perfectly. He doesn't say any of that. All of the blessings that he gives us and power are spiritual in nature. So one of these things that we want to do is we want to say, listen, we need your wisdom, God. Because in reality, when we look at these things, we go... What use are they to be now, Lord God? Do I really have them? You say that I have them. Do I really have them? So let's look at the Bible and let's see how Christ treats people, how the Lord treats people. Let's first go back to the book of Judges. In the book of Judges, God is going to use a man named Gideon. And this man named Gideon is right now literally in the midst of hiding from his enemies. And the angel of the Lord comes to him and says, Gideon, mighty warrior. What's he doing? He's calling him out and showing him the things that God is already doing and giving to him. Same thing happens with David. You know, they, Samuel shows up to, to anoint the kids and anoint one of the kids to be, to be uh, the king. And, you know, there's all of the sons. And then we get down to the one who's not even there. This the little guy, David, who's out in the field. And they say, surely not David. They yeah, go get David. And then they anoint him. Up through one, I will bring one. What does he tell Samuel? One who has a heart like mine. He's telling him, this is what I've put into him. Well, then we fast forward to the New Testament and we go right to Mary. The angel of the Lord shows up to Mary, who's a scared teenager. She says, Mary, you are most favored. Is that because Mary had done something? No, it's because of what God was doing in her and giving her. In the same way, he looks at Peter and he says, Peter, on this rock, I will build my church. And Peter later on, you know, of course, like denies Jesus to a little teenage girl. But in the same way, he's saying, I'm looking at what I have put in you. That is how I see you. You've been given the riches of God and the power of God. And Paul's like, Ephesians, I want you to know it so that you won't waste it. You know, the whole culmination of the Wizard of Oz was right there at the very end. Oz looks at, you know, Dorothy and says, you had him with you all along. All you had to do. What a terrible thing for Christians to go, man, I wish I had wisdom. I wish I had understanding. I wish I had power. I was like, you do? Will you pray for me for wisdom to use it? When I was younger, my, uh, my aunt worked for a custom jewelry, uh, custom jewelry supplier in New York City, and she also worked with Vogue. And so some of her clients, go figure, 
were men by the names of George Brett, uh, Jim Catfish Hunter, Raleigh Fingers. Now, if you're not baseball players, you won't recognize these people as like superstars of the 70s and 80s. And so little Paul Cummings, little, got given autographed baseballs by George Brett, Jim Catfish Hunter, Raleigh Fingers, all in the Hall of Fame. And you know what I did with them? Batting practice. Exactly. Right? I had them, but I didn't know how to use them. And Paul says, you have these incredible things. Don't waste them. Don't let them go to waste. You don't, you don't need to pray. You don't need to pray to have them. You have them now because you are in Christ. And so for us as the church, so often it's not, you know, oh gosh, it's we have it. Let's pray and say, Lord, how can we use it? And the power that has raised Christ from the dead will come and will illuminate your heart, which brings me to the next one. This other explosive revelation is he says, I pray that you would have the eyes of your heart illuminated so that you could know the difference between price and value. I pray that you would have the eyes of your heart illuminated so that you know the difference between price and value. Verse 18 is incredible. And, and it's, it's the place where Paul Balash wrote the song years ago, Open the Eyes of My Heart. It's kind of that same mentality. He says this. He says, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the wonderful future that he has promised to those he called. I want you to realize what a rich and glorious inheritance he has given to his people. I want your heart to be flooded with light because it's not enough merely to see. I want you to understand it is supremely, it's supremely important because without an illuminated heart, we cannot see all that we have in Christ and all he is. And if we can't see all we have in Christ and all he is, the cares of this world will drown it out. What did we say about all we had in Christ? So much of it is intangible. You can't, you know, put a price on understanding. You can't put a price on wisdom, you know. And the world is all about putting a price on everything. And we're often fooled to think that because something in this world has an incredibly high price, that it's worth it. That it is worth it. There are things often that we will pay out for in this world that are utterly worthless. Not only are they worthless, but the end of it leads in destruction. Price versus value means that an illuminated heart understands the difference between the two. And so just in this world, part of the things that we don't understand often as before we come to the Lord is we don't understand. We're like, well, of course this thing is more important than a person. But an illuminated heart understands that a person is always more important than a thing or a process. A non-illuminated heart goes, it's the worst thing in the world if the world hates me and rejects me. But an illuminated heart says, if the world hated and rejected Jesus Christ, why am I surprised that they hate and reject me? It's nothing to be afraid of. The same thing happened to Jesus. A non-illuminated heart goes, it's not worth it. This whole being a Christian thing, it's not worth it. What I have to give up, what I don't get to do, things I don't get, people I don't get to be around with. But an illuminated heart understands that the gospel is always worth it. There's a huge difference between price and value. And so an illuminated heart goes, my life was bought by the greatest price ever paid through Jesus Christ, which must mean I'm that bad off, but I have this much value to my Savior. An illuminated heart seizes moments. There's so often that an illuminated heart, we walk in and we look at a situation and we don't know what to do, but a heart that is illuminated goes in and begins to love, begins to share, begins to pour out the grace that God has given them. And he says, listen, in this world where people are confused by what is valuable but what's pricey, 
I want you to understand it, and I want your heart to be flooded. Matthew 16, 26, Jesus comes back to this. And he says, what good is it if you gain the entire world but lose your soul in the process? How much can you give or how much can you pay for your soul? And we need this because we're all like men looking into a refrigerator. Honey, did you get some mayonnaise? It's right there. Where? And my wife, is. she's like, take your right hand. Okay. Touch the milk. I'm doing it. Push it to the side. <gasps> oh, there it is. But a non-illuminated heart just looks into his. I can't see. He says, I want your heart to be illuminated so that you'll know this world and not be fooled by it. And finally, this other explicit revelation, I pray that you could know what you can be because of what Christ has done for you and who He is in you. I pray that you would know what you can be because of Christ. I love this part right here when it says in verse 18, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the wonderful future. Wonderful future he has promised to those he has called. I want you to realize what a rich and glorious inheritance he's given his people. Verse 19, I pray that you will understand, begin to understand the incredible greatness of his power for those of us who believe. Now this is a little bit similar to understanding the riches, but this is understanding who you can be because of Christ. And so this addresses the idea of hope. Hope in this world is an incredibly shallow thing for the most part. The things that people say I hope and then follow it are kind of pathetic. And I do it too. And in my family, one of the greatest things that, we, that they say or is said, especially when it comes to weddings, is I hope the wedding cake is good. Anybody else said that? By the way, do that before 10 o'clock at night for us pastors that would like to have a piece of cake. Anyway, just side note. But anyway, you know, I hope that there's cake. Or, you know, about this time of year, we're like, I hope there's a... I hope there's a refund that's coming to me. And most of the things that we have hope for, we've already kind of like hedged our bets to go, you know what, it might not happen. But what Paul says is, the hope for your future is not based on just hope as a concept. It's based on resurrection power that has been witnessed in Jesus Christ. Christian hope is not like that. Verses 19 and 20, you can know the hope for your future because it's based on the empty tomb of Jesus Christ in his resurrected power that has brought him to be seated in the heavenly realms. And so as we talk about this power that our hope is based on, Paul says it to the Philippians in another way. He says in Philippians 2.13, listen, this hope that you have is because God is working in you, giving you the power to obey him and the strength to do what pleases him. The explosiveness then as we come to verse 23 is he says, and by the way, you're the body of Christ. You're the body of Christ. And if you think about the body of Christ, the body of resurrected Christ now is made up of us. His power has knit us together and is using us to change the world. If he fills everything everywhere, then we know that he's filled his body. But the hope comes to us when we begin to think about, no, I can't. Remember I said, Paul says, I'm praying that you might understand who you can be because of Christ. He says this future, this power. So when you look at yourself and go, I can never be that kind of disciple. I can never get over this sin. I can never be that kind of father. I can never be that kind of mother. I can never be that kind of wife. I can never be that kind of husband. I can never be that kind of friend. That's looking at the hope that we have in this world. I hope there's cake. But you and I, when we say, I hope I could be the kind of wife 
I hope I could be the kind of disciple. I hope I could be the kind of evangelist. When we say that, we're saying it based on the same hope that raised Christ from the dead, that now has him seated in the heavenly realms. Real hope is there for all of us because Christ lives and the same power that resurrected him lives in us now. So it's almost like when we stand up and sing this final hymn, I want you to go ahead and click your heels together. You've got the ruby slippers. They were with you all along. What you have in Christ can't just sit up on a shelf collecting dust because it doesn't look like the things that this world values. Instead, get them down. Pray for wisdom because you have wisdom and in Christ the power to use them. And then ask, say, God, you promised and you said you'd given me wisdom. You said you'd give me understanding. You said and you promised and you want me to have this illuminated heart. Let me have it so that I could step out into this power and begin to live the life that you were raised from the dead so that I could live. And remember, you've got it now. It was Christ's devotion, Christ's discipline, and Christ's sacrifice that enabled you and I to get it. And we live a life of gratitude every day for the rest of our lives, saying thank you for that by using the riches and the power that he's given us. Let me pray for us. Jesus says we think about who and what we have in you, Lord God. We're so tempted to think about all the things that we don't have that this world says are important. And yet none of those things make a difference in eternity at all. Not a single dent. As we reflect on your words, Lord God, what could we give for our souls? So, Lord Jesus, lean into our hearts. Remind us that we have been loved so richly that you gave your life for us. Not so that we could sort of live, but we know that you said that we would have life abundantly. You've given us the riches of inheritance and the power of your Holy Spirit, not just out there floating around, but living in us, making your home in our hearts. So, Lord God, light up our hearts. Let us be illuminated to see, not just see, but see and understand. Let us turn to your word that takes us deeper and deeper into your love and into your goodness. And may you be glorified in this, your body. We're not just an institution, Lord God. We're your organism. We're your body. Use us. Let us tap into your power, Lord God, that this world will be changed and that we'd come to know that the gospel's always worth it and that they are so important that you died for them just like you died for us. It's in your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.